morning. I'm Walter Spires. Excited to be here with you this morning. Missed last week and I always uh, hate that when I miss the opportunity to teach the Word of God. And so I'm really excited about this series that the Lord has given me to begin today. As the Jews continue to pepper Jesus with these questions, his disciples did as well. But we're going to look at this series called The Signs of the Times and begin today with the first part, The Sign of Jonah. So before I get started, let me pray us in. Father God, thank you for your word. Your word is true. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and listen to your word and lean in and hear what the Holy Spirit has for us today. Not only hear it, but receive it. For those who are struggling with things, whether it's still living in sin and wondering if you're the real deal or not, or how they're supposed to turn or what they're supposed to do in such a time as this in our culture, or for those of us who are born again believers and struggling with our culture and what's going on and trying to understand it and understand first and foremost how we are supposed to represent Christ in, in such a world as this, just as the disciples did in their time and all the followers of Christ. So we have that challenge before us today. So Lord, teach us, teach us, instruct us, and most of all, equip us and send us out to be that salt and light in a dark world that's in desperate need of hope. And that hope alone in Christ Jesus, our risen Lord and Savior. We thank you for that. We bless you and we praise your holy name. In Jesus' magnificent name, amen. I thought it was interesting as in my, in my study, as I went through this, that we listen to it and we read it and study it from the mouth of Jesus, his own words. I really like to do that. I spent a lot of time going through and looking at Jesus' words. If you've got an old red letter Bible, mine doesn't have that anymore. But if you do, you know, those old uh, New Testament, some of the early ones had red letters for the words of Jesus. And you do well just to go through and study those and understand exactly what Jesus said about these things rather than what others are saying about what Jesus said. So, you know, throughout the Old Testament, God performed signs and wonders. That was his way of revealing himself as, as the one true God, Jehovah Yahweh, Elohim, the one true God, and trying to help them see who he was to see that he was there to protect them and love them. And, and as part of that, throughout their history, he performed miracles and signs and wonders. And really, even before the nation of Israel was birthed through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we go back to the days of Noah. We're going to talk about that in this series a few weeks from now. But he began with that, the unbelievable, miraculous sign. I think that's really the first, one of the first ones recorded in Scripture of Jonah, excuse me, of, of Noah and what went on there. And as we come on through, get to Noah, and we come to Abraham and the miracles of Isaac, the birth of Isaac, and what he did, how God just orchestrated all those different signs to prove himself to Abraham. And then Abraham's faith tested and, and Abraham coming through so well, believing God and trusting God. And then on Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes and the 12 sons. And, that, and so the nation of Israel was born. So the point is, throughout that history, there were just signs and wonders performed by God all the time. And so in a sense, you would say they were used to 
seeing them, but you also see as you study through the Old Testament that they constantly, especially after David and Solomon, they constantly fell into disobedience. The kingdom was split. And throughout the rest of the prophets in, the, in that now my Old Testament study, there was just this constant disobedience, rebellion, pagan worship, idolatry. And, and what you read and the reason the prophets were sent was to continue to warn them until it was too late that God was absolutely fed up with their rebellion, with their idolatry. And he always reminded them of the signs that he had done going back to the Exodus. So this is constant reminding by God to the Israelites of what he had done from them, for them through the signs and wonders he performed. So that was something they'd become used to in their culture and history, despite the fact that it obviously didn't mean that much to them, because we know that then later on in 722, the Assyrians overran the northern kingdom, the northern tribes called Israel, those 10 tribes, and then 140 or so years later in 586, the final siege of Jerusalem by Babylon when the temple was destroyed. And from that point, there was no more nation of Israel. Not until 1948, more than 2,500 years, was there was no nation of Israel. And throughout, they would keep they were reminded constantly of these signs that God had performed, and yet they wouldn't turn back to him. And they sought after, they played the harlot, as he said, throughout the Old Testament. Played the harlot with other gods, with other gods. So we go from Malachi 4, verse 6, which is the end of the Old Testament, into what's called the silent 400 or so years. The silent 400 years. Some will call it the intertestamental period, the apocryphal period. Because for those 400 years, there was absolutely no word from God. Malachi 4, 6 closes with this warning from God. This issue from God that just says, you know, this is it. I'm done with you. In fact, let me just read that verse to you. He gives them this. He'd given them these warnings. Now, again, they had been captive for, at this point, many, many years. Because Malachi is written in the 400s B.C. And he, said, he gave them this warning, this admonition. But then also he left them with a promise. He said, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. Well, Elijah the prophet had come and gone. Who is this? He's referring to John the Baptist, who was one like Elijah. I'm going to send him to you before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Well, that's the day of judgment. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So I will not come and smite the land with a curse. It's interesting to many that the very last word of the Old Testament is curse. It's curse. And the New Testament opens in Matthew with the blessing of Jesus Christ, the birth of Christ, the coming of the Messiah. Been promised throughout the Old Testament and now coming. And again, there were signs and more signs and signs throughout this. So it's a bit of a background on that. Now, through those years, throughout those years, there were no prophets sent. There was no word from God. And some, that was a very, very long time. But it wasn't the only time. There were all those years um, after Abraham, the time in Egypt, after Joseph had died and they were forgotten and they mourned and they, they went from being favored in the land to slaves in the land. There were times when God just didn't speak, just did not speak to him, was angry and fed up with their behavior, their rebellion, their idolatry, their idolatry. And so we see that there were no signs, there was no word from God. 
So then we get into the New Testament where we begin in Matthew 1, and there we have the promise of the Messiah that's coming now. And we have John the Baptist, who is the forerunner. He's the first prophet, in some sense, the last prophet, if you will, the last prophet, if you don't consider Jesus a prophet because he was the Messiah that fulfilled the prophecies. John the Baptist, who came to proclaim that Jesus was here and point everyone to Jesus. So he's the last prophet. And from that point forward, we can see that he fulfilled, that Jesus fulfilled these Old Testament prophecies. And there's a lot of study on that. We're not going to get in that today. I'm trying to give you some background so that we can get into this sign of Jonah as we work through this. Now, Jesus begins his ministry. He was the carpenter's son. He was 30 years old when he began his ministry. And some find that odd. I did for many, many years until I was reminded and pointed back to the Old Testament that the priests began their ministries at 30 years old. Because it seems odd that Jesus would spend all that time, if that's what he did, with Joseph, his father, as a carpenter's son and a carpenter himself. We don't really know because from the time Jesus was 12 years old, and we read that story in the temple, until he was 30 and began his ministry, those 18 years, those are the mystery years to me. I've always wanted to know where you could study and find out more about that, but we're not told about those years. And so Jesus began his ministry at age 30, and he begins to go out, and the first thing he said was the first thing John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent was the first key word out of John the Baptist's mouth in his ministry. If you flip the page in Matthew from Matthew 3 to 4, you'll read the same thing about Jesus. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Repent of what? Repent of your sins. Repent of these, this idolatry, this turning away for the Jews, all these reasons that you are here where you are. Because the Jews, you know, we, we remember they wanted a Messiah. But they didn't want Jesus, as we know from the, the rest of the New Testament or the Gospels. They didn't want Jesus. They wanted a military uh, Messiah to overthrow the Romans. All they wanted was to get the Romans off their back so they could go back to their old ways. And what were the old ways? Idolatry and sin and every kind of horrendous thing that some of which God said in the uh, Old Testament, some of the prophets. He said, these were things I could not have even imagined. Their sin was so great and horrific and profane and perverse that God himself said, I couldn't even imagine that my people would do something like that. So that's why they were ultimately destroyed, except for the remnant, except for the remnant. So during this time now, the Pharisees and Sadducees had, had been created or formed during that intertestamental period in that, you know, probably in the 150 to 200 B.C. time, you know, we go through and it was when the... Um, it was the Medo-Persian Empire, the Persians. Well, then you end up having the Greeks in the 300s and the Romans and these different empires taken over. And Israel, when you read it, you think they're an independent nation. They're really not. They were a servile people allowed to go back to this land and repopulate it to some extent as long as they obeyed the laws or the rules or didn't cause any problems for the nation, the kingdom that was ruling them throughout all that history. And so throughout the entire time of Jesus and in the New Testament, the Roman Empire was in force, and I mean in force in a big way. And so they were captives. They were slaves of a sort throughout all that time. They were never, ever a free people. So Jesus comes, and as we know, 
he begins performing miracle after miracle after miracle. He began with the turning the water to wine and the wedding at Cana. And, and the Jews were following him around, and he had these huge crowds drawn to him. And the more attention he got, the more the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and others would follow him around as well because they wanted to hear what he was saying. And as he began to speak more and more like he was the Messiah, he was the son of God, sent by God, then they wanted to kill him. And so they followed him around, always listening to see if they could hear some word that they could call blasphemy because you could kill someone for blaspheming God. So we are in, I'm going to share today out of Matthew 12. I'm going to start there in Matthew 12. But the background is important. And so Jesus has been doing all these miracles, living among these people, traveling all over that part, that region of the northern part in Galilee and uh, Judea and then down, you know, into those areas, um, Jerusalem. But he didn't go there first. Most of his ministry was up north. Sea of Galilee, Capernaum is a city where he made his, his base, if you will. And a lot of those cities around there. In Matthew 12, if you've got a Bible, if you Bible with you, turn to that. What we're going to see is this. It, it begins with him being challenged by the Pharisees because he, the, the uh, eating of the grain, the picking of the grains, and eating the grains on the Sabbath. And so they're all over about, wait a second, now time out. These guys are doing things. That's working on the Sabbath. And Jesus goes through this discourse about how he is Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath. What does that mean? Well, it means he's God. And so that really angered them. They didn't like that at all. You'll find that in the first part of Matthew 12. And then he goes through and rebukes them with a strong rebuke because the next part that you will read in Matthew 12 is where he describes and talks about what we refer to as the unpardonable sin. And if you look at your headings in your Bible in Matthew 12, you will see that he talks about the unpardonable sin and did not have time to get into that today. But Essentially, what that is, is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and is the denial of Christ as the Messiah, as Lord and Savior. What they did was they they made Christ equal to someone working for Satan. They said, well, he does these things as a son of Beelzebub, which is Satan. And so to ascribe that, that's one of the things that is considered the unpardonable sin. And Jesus said that you can do a lot of things here and you can call me names and stuff. But when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit is speaking to or the work of the Holy Spirit is attributed to Satan and you don't believe it, you throw it off, you have no chance. You're condemned to hell. And so that's what Jesus told them. Because their words were so venomous, and he talks about them, remember he calls them a brood of vipers, a brood of vipers, and the vipers are a very poisonous snake. Then he goes from that to talking about that words reveal character. And he, there's a verse in what is it, verse uh, 16, and I tell you that every careless word people speak, and he's talking to the Pharisees now. He's talking to them that will give an they will give an account in the day of judgment. They'll give an account for these careless words. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Those of us who are born again in Christ have a lot of words to atone for and repent of, and I certainly have. And we need to be mindful of this, but we're not going to be judged for this because our words were. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I believe it. I'm born again in him because he, he came. He did what he said he was going to do. He cleansed me of my sin, and I've repented of my sin, and I have received Christ as my Savior. That satisfies this, 
but there's a woe in here to them that these vipers, the poisonous snakes, were spewing these words about Jesus, calling him the son of the devil. Mm, 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 mm. Now, now we get to verse, um, put my glasses back on here. Now we come to verse 38, and that's where we begin our message for today. Let me just read this passage to you. I'm reading in Matthew 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. I'm going to stop right there for a minute because we want to see that Jesus now is helping them understand there's a sign but it's an Old Testament sign, this first sign, and it's one he refers them back to because they all knew the story of Jonah. And by the way, it's really important to understand that Jesus is validating these things as being real, true events. Jonah was a real prophet sent to Nineveh. The fish that swallowed him when he was thrown in the water into the sea by the people when the boat was about to go under all that terrible, awful storm. And Jonah admitted it was his fault. And he was the one that was running from God. And, and they didn't want to do it. But he said, if you'll throw me in the sea, <laughs> everything will be okay for you. And he did. And we know the story of the great fish. As children, we were taught it was a whale. We know it wasn't a whale, just a great fish of some kind. And there are many great fish that could swallow up a man. And so we know that story, and Jesus is pointing to that, pointing them back to that, and we're going to look at that and why he did that, what that means. So throughout this whole section, remember, it's about them asking for more and more signs, and yet he had just come off these miracles he'd been doing. In Matthew 11, the chapter right before, in verse 20, he said, then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done. Now, recall, I said he's at Capernaum up on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee was his base. He did a lot of ministering around that area. And so that's tell you that because he says in verse 21 of chapter 11, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But they didn't, you see. They didn't repent. Jesus did all these miracles, and they still didn't repent. What are they doing? We see in chapter 12, they're still asking for more signs, asking for more signs. So that's what Jesus has said at this point, that the sign that you'll get will be the sign of Jonah. In verse 40, back to chapter 12, he said this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, or the fish, great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. They didn't really understand that. This was a bit of prophecy speaking ahead about what? About how he was going to be crucified and then he would be buried in the tomb and be in there with what's called three days and three nights where you can, you can spend a lot of time studying that to understand that I have because the three days and three nights, it doesn't make any sense if Good Friday was the day he was really crucified. By the way, there are many, many, many who believe he was crucified on Wednesday or Thursday in order to make those three days and three nights work. 
It's a long, long study. The Jews didn't count days like we do. In fact, uh, for many, many years, and back during that time, the day started at 6 p.m. That's when it started. Okay, that was when it started, and it ended the next day at 6 p.m. So it wasn't the Roman calendar day that we have midnight to midnight, things like that. So there are all kinds of things and explanations you can look at there. Uh, we believe that based on what the word teaches, that there were pieces of three days and three nights the way they were reckoned, but it is an interesting and challenging study. But Jesus said it here, and we're going to believe that because his word is true. However that was reckoned, it doesn't really matter at this point. What he's telling them, he's prophesying, this is what's going to happen, that the Son of Man is going to be in that grave three days and three nights. As we move through these next few chapters, we've got, I'm in 12, we've got 13. He's doing more parables. He's explaining those. He's doing miracles. He's feeding the 5,000, feeding the 5,000 people, healing crowds. And so we get the 16 verse 1. Again, all that stuff's going on. And I tell you that because he never stopped doing these miracles and signs and wonders in front of all of them. They were there watching these things. And so when we turn over to chapter 16, verse 1, we read this. The Pharisees, it sounds like you're back in chapter 12. And by the way, these different locates. He now moved to another town and city. He was moving around through the region, teaching in all these towns and cities, and all the synagogues, anywhere people would listen to him. So in 16.1, we read this. Again, the Pharisees and Sadducees came up to Jesus, and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he's got to be thinking, we just did the feeding of the 5,000, the 4,000, all these miracles that had happened, and you continue to ask for signs. This time, Jesus was a little more curt and short in his response. And he replied to them, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather, the sky is red. And in the morning, you say there'll be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening and cloudy and all that. You know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. You cannot discern the signs of the times. And evil, and this was his indictment on them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after signs. But a sign will not be given except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. Zip, he didn't comment anymore. He said, you know how to read the signs. You look up in the sky and like... We've had here the other day a bunch of uh, thunderclouds and storms, and you see lightning. Think, oh, that's going to be a bad one. Or you, it, when the sun's going down, he said, you you know how to read a red sky. You know what that means. You you know when it's time to bring in your crops. We you know when it's time to plant. You know all these things in nature, and yet you can't see what's going on here. Throughout the Old Testament, there were all the prophecies about Messiah coming, and you can't see that. And understand now who he's talking to. He's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribe, the one who was the lawyer that tested him. We talked about that story, the Good Samaritan, a number of weeks ago. These are the most learned people. These are the ones who know the law in and out. They can memorize it. To be that in that crowd, you had to have memorized the Torah to know the oral Torah. So if they had the oral Torah, you would speak it to your sons and the fathers were supposed to learn that and pass it down. So they knew all these things. They had, they had knowledge of those things, and yet they didn't believe. And that's what Jesus is calling them out for. 
And he didn't mention that part specifically, but he's, he's implying it because they know how to do all these other things. And yet they know these signs that are coming out of the Old Testament that they've been waiting for a Messiah. And yet they continue to reject him and they would not believe him. And so he just said, look, what's going to happen? You're going to get sign of Jonah. And I've already told you what that is. And so in this passage, he didn't say any more. He did not say anymore. He said, the sign of Jonah, that's the only sign that's going to be given. This evil and perverse generation is one of Jonah, the one I just told you about back here. And you didn't believe. You didn't believe. So he said he just got up and left them. He's fed up with them. He's tired of them. He's weary of their just following after him, trying to trick him, trying to indict him in some way, and failing to see the signs that were right there in front of him right in front of them. You know, brothers and sisters, this is an interesting, interesting study for us because people talk about the signs of the times in the world we live in now all the time. Is this the sign of the end times? And when I first started down this path, I thought, well, that's what this will be, a study of the end times, the signs of those. And we'll get to some of that. But it was interesting to me that these signs that Jesus talked about, this one and the one we'll do next week, they weren't signs of end times. It was simply signs of the times around them of unbelief, of people having Jesus right there in their midst and yet failing to believe. And not just the, uh, the average person, the average Roman who would have no knowledge of this, the Gentiles who were seeking after him. Of course, they wouldn't have any knowledge of that. But the Jews were without excuse. The Jews would have had the knowledge. The religious leaders would have known it firsthand. The other Jews, especially the men, would have been trained in this, would have heard this all their lives if they were in reasonable, you know, Jewish homes. A part of that problem was the break of the links of all of that after the captivities and uh, the fact that they, they were hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, with no prophets, with no more people telling them the word of God. But throughout that period, it was the responsibility of the fathers and the priests and the prophets that remained and we see that when we read those other Old Testament prophets to continue to tell them and remind them about God, who he is, and all the signs and wonders and miracles he had done for them. They just threw them off. Here we have this generation just rejecting them when the sign of Messiah is right there amongst them, right there amongst them. So let's go back and look at a couple of verses here. When he talked about the sign of Jonah, we touched on what that meant. But let me go back and finish the rest of that little passage there so it'll help us understand a little bit better. Yeah, I intentionally stopped there so that we would go back here and look at it and see what did he mean by that. He said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, or belly, excuse me, belly of the great fish, sea monster for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man, so the Son of Man will be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, he went on to say this, because this was the indictment and the accusation against these people of that generation, of those days. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented. The men of Nineveh will stand up in the day of judgment. And listen, there is a day of judgment coming. Jesus talks about that day of judgment frequently throughout. And that is the day of judgment, that great white throne judgment, the day of judgment when sinners and those who refuse to receive Christ, including these Jewish religious leaders 
who constantly refused him despite all the signs he had given them, they will be they will be condemned and they will spend eternity in hell. Why? Because they had it right there and they refused to listen to it. They refused to receive Jesus as that sign, not just the sign, but the fulfillment of all of that. What Jesus tells them is that, look, this is going to be so bad for you. Get back to the story of Jonah, that Jonah, when he went to Nineveh, and you recall in that story that God had told him to go to Nineveh and preach, and Jonah said, you've got to be kidding me, and he ran away and got on a ship going to Tarsus, which is over in Spain. So when you looked on a map in those days, you found that Jonah got on a boat or a ship to sail as far away in the other direction as he could from the direction, the opposite direction, going to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the most powerful and also the most wicked city in the world, or one of them, the worst that we know of in biblical history. And Jonah said, I'm not doing that. And that's how the story of Jonah comes about. It's on that ship when he's trying to sail as far away as he can, the opposite direction, that God says, wait a second, I thought I told you to go here, not here. And so that's why the entire encounter with the men and being thrown in the sea and the great fish and being spewed on the land, and Jonah finally then went to Nineveh and preached. And when he preached, something shocking happened. There was great repentance in the city of Nineveh, the most evil and wicked city. But when Jonah went there and preached God and who he was and the need for repentance, many repented. Many repented. Now, it's interesting, and again, you have to go back and study Old Testament history, but we know, obviously, that the way it's described by some uh, historians and commentaries, some commentators in that, is that you know, there were some in Nineveh who absolutely were saved and will be with us in heaven as born-again Christians, but we know that the Assyrian Empire was one of the most wicked, and so they turned back to that evil, and in fact, um, I believe it's the book of Nahum, is, is, um, the minor prophet is all about the, uh, the destruction of Nineveh and what's going on because it was such a wicked city and how it was going to be destroyed. But for this purpose in time, when Jonah went there, God used that to save some people out of that wicked city. Okay? So he went there. But So what Jesus is telling these people, some of those people who got it are going to stand up and testify against you when you stand before the Lord in the great day of judgment. And he didn't stop there. He went on to say a few verses down. He says, it says in verse 42, the queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba, will rise up with this generation again at the judgment and will condemn it. And she will condemn it even though she herself is condemned because she came from the ends of the earth, meaning that Egyptian, you know, the powerful empire there. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So he said something greater than Jonah is here, meaning this great prophet, referring to himself. And Solomon was the wealthiest, uh, most powerful man in the world for the years that he reigned till he again so disobeyed God that his throne was taken away. But what Jesus is telling them is that this queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, as she's referred to, powerful in her own right, had heard so much about Solomon, heard so much about Solomon that she came to see, can this really be true? 
his wisdom and all those, uh, those amazing stories of his wisdom were, were spreading throughout the world as travelers came through and, and, and made their way, bringing all kinds of goods and stuff. That's how it worked in that world, those caravans, and they would carry those stories. And so she came all the way from Egypt, that part of Africa that she was over, the queen, because she just wanted to see for herself. And when she got there, if you go back and read that story, you'll understand. She said, oh, my gosh, this is even more. I wasn't even told the half of it. This is amazing. And as I went back and studied that, it said she actually blessed the Lord as well. She said, blessed are you for all this wisdom you've got. But blessed is the God who gave you that wisdom. Blessed is your God. Now, she didn't repent and get saved. There's no sign of that. But she came and blessed the Lord because of what she saw in Solomon. Just as the Ninevites would bless the Lord because of what Jonah did to them. And yet, even with all that, Jesus is saying, you've got me. You see it. You've got all these signs. You rejected me, just like some of them rejected these over here. You will pay for that. And they are going to rise up and testify against you. In your day of judgment, it's going to be bad because you're going to have some testifying against you. That's a scary thought. That's a scary thought. There are others that uh, Jesus pointed to. We're going to study those uh, beginning next week. Jesus rebuked them and called them an evil and adulterous generation. And it says in verse 16, he left them and went away. He gave them that one last word on the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. You know, what that means is that he left them in their sin. They were given so many opportunities, so many opportunities, all the signs they'd seen. Throughout their history, their ancestors, they knew all those stories. They knew the truth of all those stories, including Jonah and Solomon and all the things that he did and the wisdom and the mighty stuff and the amazing things he created because he was blessed of God. And it just says Jesus left them. He left them in their sin. And so the message for us as Christians is pretty simple. We need to understand the reality of these teachings, the reality, because Jesus was serious about sin. And he was serious about repentance. I've shared with you many times, and I said it a little earlier. John the Baptist message, what? I came to call sinners to repentance. Turn the page. Jesus said the same thing. I came to call sinners to repentance. I didn't come to call the, those who are well or don't need any help, don't need a doctor, which was he was kind of joking there because these people thought they were so self-righteous and they were the godly ones. You know, Jesus has given them multiple opportunities and all they want to give me more signs, give me more signs, give me more signs. If you're a Christian, the one sign that you needed and hopefully you would receive was the sign that Jesus Christ was crucified, rose from the dead, and now reigns in heaven with God and will return and return soon, we hope. And that is our hope, the returning of Christ to usher in what we are waiting for, what we long for, our expectant hope of his return and soon. If you're a Christian, what we need to be doing is sharing that hope. Because there's so many people around us, so many people around us who are looking for signs and we're not telling them. We're not sharing the one sign that they need to know and understand. This is the sign and it was fulfilled and it's Jesus. He is the only way. We point them to John 14, 6. So Christian, what are you doing to help save 
this evil and perverse and adulterous generation, even those within the church. We have to keep pointing back to the signs. Jesus kept doing that, hoping that they would see, oh, yeah, he's the one. He is the one. And in his time, they never got it. They never got it. In fact, they killed him. They killed him. As Christians, we are to do two things. We're to live in faith and obedience to bear fruit. And part of that bearing fruit is to go and make disciples. That's where his great commission was. We need to be telling people. We need to be sharing this hope that we have. Do you really have hope there? Or you just think you got a rubber stamp that you're born again in Christ, you're walking out, got dunk, whatever, and you're safe and you're in, and you have fire insurance. It does not work that way. And so as I always do, I want to challenge you to understand, just as Paul challenged us to, to know that there was a godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 7.10, there was a godly sorrow that produced repentance in your heart without regret, that you just pleaded for the forgiveness of God through the blood of Christ because you knew who you were. You knew who you were apart from him. Let me remind you, Christian, don't look back, but remember whose you are. It's not who you are. It's whose you are. And then go tell someone. Go tell someone. Engage with someone. It's not enough to kind of live this um, wonderful Christian lifestyle thing, whatever. That's great. That's terrific. But that is not what Jesus said to do. That's not what he said to do. He said, go tell someone. Tell them. Because they're perishing. They are perishing. And, you know, for those who are still like the Pharisees or the others looking for signs, looking for signs of got to be something better than this. And we know this world isn't right. We know it isn't right, but we surely Jesus cannot be the only way. Surely Jesus can't be the only way. There's got to be some other way. And we share with him John 14, 6. And that makes us bigots and liars and all the stuff they like to call people today. But they too need a savior. And they are no more lost in their sin and sinners than we were apart from Jesus Christ. So if you're listening to me today, if somehow you came across this message, whether you're watching it on YouTube or you're listening to the podcast, or you're listening to the podcast or reading the notes, they'll post as a blog. However you receive this, it wasn't an accident. It was not. There's nothing special about me as a messenger and anything that I teach or whatever. It is the message which is Jesus Christ and him crucified, buried, and risen that we celebrate and invite you to do the same. Come on, because this world is screwed up. The signs of the times toward the end are pointing that way. And I may be the, the, the final messenger. I may be the final one that Jesus sends. What if I'm the last person? What if I'm the last person and you pass on this one again and say, nope, can't be right, can't be right, then you're going to be like these Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all the others who have rejected him. And you will perish in your sin, and you will spend eternity in hell. And I'm sorry to give you that bad news, but I've given you the good news. And the good news is Jesus Christ died for you, loves you so much he died for you, and pleads with you, just as I do right now, vicariously, to to come and receive him as your savior. You know you're lost in your sin. You know that. In your heart of hearts, you know that. And the only way out, the only way out 
It's through that repentance and belief and receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. Oh, I plead you would do that today for Christ's sake. Amen. Father God, let your word, you promise it won't return void. I'm standing on that promise right now for those who hear this and, and desperately need a Savior and desperately need a Savior. You've given them the sign, the sign of Jonah. I pray, Lord, you'd open their eyes to receive it. And for those of us as Christians, just help this to be a, a, a reminder of our responsibility now to the rest of this world that is looking for hope, desperately looking for hope, and some of them don't even know it. Help us to be strong. Help us to be faithful and obedient. And help us to speak the truth in love without equivocating that Jesus Christ is the only way. For Christ's sake, I pray again. Amen. God bless you and have a great week. To learn more about how you can become a Christian or grow in your walk with the Lord and receive freely of all the biblically-based content we have created or donate to help keep this ministry going strong, go to onlyjesus.life. That's onlyjesus.life.